No fish have been harmed in the making of this podcast. Welcome aboard, everybody, as we get underway. Let's just cast off some lines and get this podcast underway. Thank you for joining me on Talking Bass in PDX, the Bass and Warm Water Forum, as we talk fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark, and I'll be your host. On this episode of Talking Bass and PDX, I have Brian Chapman, the owner of Willamette Weapons Lures. But before we talk to him, let me talk to you about Talking Bass in PDX, the podcast. The podcast is all about fishing in the Northwest, and if you enjoy listening, please continue to help us grow by telling your friends about the podcast. We can be heard on Spotify, Anchor FM, and iTunes. You can also Google Talking Bass in PDX. Click the link, and you can be listening to the show. I do have a fishing update on this podcast. Several of us have been looking to go fishing for large walleye. We had been talking about going fishing in the Upper Columbia for some time. This past week, we took the trip to the Upper Columbia, around Umatilla, and below the McNary Dam. If you're not familiar with the area, it's about 150 miles east of the Portland area. We were looking for large walleye in an area that we had never fished. Since we had not fished that area of the river, we decided to use a guide. We had decided to use Ed Chin of All About Adventures, Excursions, and now let me tell you that Ed provided us with a great time on the trip. I would say five-star service, as a matter of fact, from how nice his boat was, the great gear that he let us use, and his knowledge of the river and fishing. If you want that same experience, I would recommend Ed Chin at AAAExcursions.com. I'll put Ed's information down in the show notes, and he would make a great guide to take out if you were looking for walleye or bass or any other species found here in the Northwest. Now, the fishing report was also very good. We boated 10 bass and one large walleye, so it was a great trip overall. But all of us on the boat felt that game fish are too valuable to be caught only once, and all of our fish were released back into the river to be caught again. Now, before we get to the interview, just a bit about Brian. Brian started painting his lures to give himself a competitive advantage. And after he moved to the Northwest, he saw a need for high-quality painted lures for the Northwest. Well, we do have a unique fishery here in the Northwest. Due to the rivers and the clear water that we tend to fish, Brian has the ability to match the colors of what bass like to eat. Now, as I was saying, Brian started painting lures for his own use, but the word got out, and anglers started asking Brian, can you paint these? Can you paint that? And Brian started painting, and pretty soon the business was born. Also, Brian will repaint and custom paint lures if you contact him. I'll give you a special code for a discount on your purchases during the interview. So let's get to the interview. On the podcast today is Brian Chapman of Willamette Weapons. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. Thank you, Don. I appreciate you having me here. So we've uh, we've been talking a lot about different types of baits. We've also been talking uh, a little bit about what you're doing. Tell me a little bit about what your what your business is. Well, my business is custom painting lures that match the forage base that we have here in the Pacific Northwest. So I take what's actually in the water that the fish are used to seeing all the time, all the shiners, all the crayfish, all the bluegills, the crappie, all that stuff that the fish actually eat, and then I paint lures to match that. Let's take this back a bit, and let's kind of start from the beginning so that 
folks will understand how you learn some of those techniques that you're doing now. So kind of tell me how you got started into painting uh, lures for yourself. Well, uh, it all started back in the late 90s. Uh, I, after I graduated from high school, I started working in a tackle shop and I kind of had some aspirations about wanting to fish professionally. And so I was fishing team tournaments and I was fishing some pro-ams and working in the tackle shop and just really just enjoying myself. But be working in a tackle shop, you have access to all these different lures, but I couldn't find the colors that I really wanted and I, ones that would give me a lot of confidence to be able to fish. Uh, as effectively as I wanted to. And so what I did was, I the man that I was working with, um, his name was Ben Romano, he pulled me aside and says, if you can't find it, why don't you learn to paint it? And I looked at him and I went, let's do it. So he showed me how to, he pulled out his airbrush and he kind of showed me the basics of how to paint. And he goes, all right, paint whatever you feel like you need to use. So was this a blank that you were painting or were you taking someone else's crankbait? and cleaning it and repainting it to match what you wanted. Oh, well, what I was doing is I was taking, mostly I took lures that we couldn't sell in the store. You know, we'd had, they were on the discount bin for $2 and I'd buy a half a dozen of them. Most of them were Pose and, you know, big, ugly coffin bills, which I love to throw, but the colors were just atrocious. And I would take them and I'd clean them up, sand them down to wood and learn how to first preserve the wood and then I would learn to paint it. And so it was all about the priming and layering the paints to get the effects that I wanted. How are you learning about what the bait fish and other fish were in the area? And we might as well tell everybody it was it was Central California or Bay Area. Yeah, I, I, I grew up in San Jose, California. And, you know, I really hadn't thought it through too much other than I, ca I was catching a lot of fish and I would see them spit up crawdads or i'd see him spit up bait fish or you know i'd be out striper fishing in the delta and you see a school of threadfin shad swimming through mildred island or something and you know i'd follow these threadfin shad around you know you'd see schools of threadfin shad the size of a bus in you know september october in the main river and i just follow them around and you catch a striped bass and they're come up spitting up threadfins guess what that's that's what i needed to do you know, what I learned was that down there in California and, a lot, and really in a lot of states, period, threadfin shad is a primary part of the forage base. So you have threadfin shad and you've got a, some version of a crawdad, whether it's a Louisiana swamp craw or there's several different species of crawdads. But it's for me, it was mostly red or brown crawdads and threadfin shad was the forage base. And so all my lures were based on that. And I wanted to have lures that match those more perfectly, if you could say it that way. And I didn't feel like there was anything on the market that matched them as well as that. I had high confidence lures, but nothing that I could say, that's the color that, I'm, that I can catch them on all the time. So as you're painting lures and you're getting more confidence in these, uh, were you sharing them with your friends, or was this more for your own private use? It was for my own private use. I had I had my tournament partners that obviously saw what I was throwing, but for the most part, I wasn't really sharing them. I wanted a competitive advantage over everybody else. I wanted to be able to go out and say, I've got something that nobody else has. Fast forward just a bit. You've moved up to Oregon, and you're still fishing with those lures, I'm assuming. And what were you finding out? 
Well, I moved up here to Oregon, let's see, it's almost six years ago now. I was struggling to catch a fish and I started diving into, you know, why am I struggling so much? I, I couldn't get them on my crankbaits. I couldn't get them on my spinnerbaits very well. I was able to get them on some plastic worms that I knew that would work, like Senkos and stuff like that. But I, so I went back to my roots and I, I took my youngest son down to the local dock down here on the Tualatin River and dropped a crawdad trap in the water. And we sat there and kind of dinked around with catching um, whatever would bite on a night crawler or on a plastic worm. And I think we caught a few squawfish. And I pulled up the trap and I had two crawdads in there. And I went, ha yes, I get to start on this. And so I took one of the crawdads home. There was one that was black. And there was one that was what I now call my Tualatin craw color. And I took it home, put it in a dish, and I just kind of put a lit, clear lid on it. And I took one of my favorite lures that I used to catch fish on all the time, which it happened to be a lure Jensen speed trap. I stripped all the, I sanded it down, stripped all the paint off, and I sat there and I painted it over and over and over until I matched that crawd out exactly. Then I put the finish on it like I've always done. I took it down to the river and these fish start were fighting over it. I couldn't keep them off of it. You sit there and pulling one up and you see another one trying to rip the lure out of his mouth. Well, I had this bait to myself for almost a year before I had met anybody else. And I was having so much fun catching fish with it. I went out with, uh, I forget who it was right off the top of my head. I wanted, I think it was Jason Patton. I ended up going out with him and he goes, what do you got over there? He says, you're putting on a clinic with that crankbait. And I said, showed him and he goes, that's amazing. Could you paint me one? And I was like, I don't know if I want to right now, but... I'll tell you what, you take me out, I'll, I'll paint one for you. So he gave me one of his old lures. I painted it up for him. We went out a couple weeks later, and I gave it to him as a thank you for taking me out fishing. And he didn't know me from anybody. But he's just, we just started lighting him up. We started catching a lot of fish throwing crankbaits when it was... He goes, I've never, never really done good throwing crankbaits. And just from a manufacturer's standpoint, when you're fishing... When you're painting a lure, is it a a several step process? Are you putting a base color on, and then you're and then you're putting different colors on? Or give me a little bit about how you're doing that. Um, usually, I prefer to start off with a perfectly clear blank. Um, I do do I do repaints, and I'll repaint just about any lure that's out there, as long as it's not more than one joint. But I prefer to start off with a clear lure. And then I do a base color. Usually it's white. For most opaque patterns, I'll do a base white. Um, and then it's all about layering the colors to get the effect that you want. The, if, the more colors that you layer, the better the depth of the pattern. You know, so many of the colors that we you see out or that I see when I go to the store, you know, they paint. They have three colors on them, maybe four, because they want to get those things through that painting process as cheaply and easy as possible. And so their paint jobs are poor. Yeah. You know, they're, they're very basic. They're, they'll do, you can have a chartreuse with a black back and they might do a little scale or they'll do a brown and orange or they'll do a black and red. And they'll sometimes they'll do a shrink wrap or they'll do a, like a sticker that they put on for, to do the shell. And to me, that just, Oh, so it's not even a paint they use. Uh... Well, yeah, there's several manufacturers that what they do is they have what's called a water slide decal that is colored to, or that is 
printed to put on the side of the lure that's made to look like a crawdad shell. And all of your lures are painted. I paint all of my lures. I paint them all. But they don't. But these colors, they don't have the depth of the color. And so, and if you ever look at a crawdad or a bait fish of any sort, they've got depth to it, and it makes it. It gives it that three D effect. It makes it look real, mm-hmm. um, especially on the bait fish. You know, we have a lot of shiners and chubs up here where we don't have shad, or we don't. I should say we don't have threadfin shad. We have American shad. But all of these bait fish, they shimmer, they shine. They're not just two colors, you know. And it's so hard to do that unless you start getting into foiling and stuff like that. Um, but I figured out techniques over the last 20 years of how to do some of these patterns so that they really have depth and they feel like they're alive. I've had a couple people tell me, you know, it's like holding a real bait. It looks like a real bait fish in my hand. Mm-hmm. And... I go, that's the whole idea. So as you were fishing on the Twalton, you've got this lure that you're building a lot of confidence in now. At what point did you start selling some of these or pointing them for others? Let's put it that way. Well, I, I, I was doing really good with them on the upper Willamette. And I, people, I had a, like a couple, Jason and a couple of other gentlemen that I was fishing with started using them out on the Columbia. And they started posting it on social media. And I started getting people saying, where can I get these? Where can I get these? I go, I'm not selling them. And they're like, please, 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 please sell them to me. And so about five years, almost five, four years ago, I decided to open up shop. And I said, you know what? I'll get a few blanks. I started off with, I bought a dozen because that's all I could afford. I bought a dozen blanks of, you know, the lure that I was selling the most of. And I figured, okay, you know, here's what my time is worth. And so I started selling them for $15 and I started just selling them online. You know, I'd, go, okay. I'd post them on Facebook and say, hey, I've got lures for sale. And I painted, I started off with just one color, my Tualatin Craw, and it worked everywhere. And I, it's, uh, so I started doing that. And then every time I'd sell, I'd sell out of those, I'd buy more blanks and start doing that. And I started looking for blanks that work because Part of my philosophy on this is if I won't throw it myself, I'm not going to paint it and sell it for you. Um, if you have a favorite lure that you like to throw, that's fine. But if, if it comes out of what I paint, you know, I'm going to, I've looked through thousands of blanks from several different lure manufacturers to find ones that work day in, day out. Um, it, you know, kind of part of my philosophy is if I get on your boat and I and I see one of the lures, I'll just I, I would be able to pick it up just as is and throw it just as is. I wouldn't have to change anything, wouldn't have to do anything special to it. I have that much confidence in every bait that I paint and sell. Wow, that that's uh, quite quite complimentary of that, and I and I appreciate that you're building a really high quality product. Now. Uh, we're down here in your lab, and there are hundreds of of lures. So, how did you get from just doing a just a few to people were buying hundreds of them or lots of them? Well, so what I did was I, I like I said I started off with one lure, and I was selling one color, and I decided you know what I need to come up with another color, and so. Um, I started going going out in the water with the crawdad trap. I we go out on the day we go out on we go out on the river for the day. We go out on the upper Willamette or go out on the Columbia. And what I do is I drop my crawdad trap with the buoy on it. And at the end of the day, I would pick up the crawdad trap and see what was inside. 
So I would actually take the crawdads out of the water and start looking at them and started looking at, okay, what's overall, how many different variations do I see here? And I, what I was finding was I was finding different color crawdads in different areas. Um, and I've got a great story about that, by the way, that I could talk about in a little bit here. Um, but so I, I started pulling up, I started really working on crayfish. And then I also started seeing bass spitting up bait fish when I was coming, when I, when I would catch them. You know, on the upper Willamette, for instance, in June, if you, I thought these bass were all busting right out in the middle of the river. And I'm like, what on earth are you eating out there in the middle? There's no threadfin shad. So it's got to be some sort of bait fish. And I thought, well, it, it could be bluegill. It could be something until I finally got one to spit up one that was live. And I took a photo of it and I you know, took a bunch of pictures of it. And I said, okay, here's what it looks like. Let me try to match it. And I, I looked up the, what the name of the bait fish was, and it was a red side shiner. So I started painting this red side shiner, or this, these lures to look like red side shiners. And now all of a sudden, now I got a new color in my arsenal. Mm, okay. And then I, start, I said, you know what? Maybe let me take this a step further. What else do these fish eat? So I started looking at, I went over to Hag Lake. And uh, we, I took my kids over there, and we decided, you know, we'll go do some trout fishing. Well, I caught a yellow perch on a, uh, on a Castmaster, and I went, what, what if they eat yellow perch? So I decided I'll, I'll take a picture of the yellow perch and then I will paint a yellow perch pattern. There's another pattern. Then I said, you know what? I've got another pattern that I, this pattern of spinnerbait that I really like to throw. Why don't I paint a, cr a crankbait to look like the spinnerbait that I like to throw? And the chartreuse perch was born. And then I started looking at it and I started actually diving into it online. They have, there's a lot of resources if you look for it about different things that you, you know, different things in our waters up here that are specific to our waters. So I found out that there's a peamouth chub, that there's bluegills and crappie and yellow perch. And so I started looking at all these fish. So I started trying to, I said, okay, well, let me line these up. I'll start matching them one at a time as I catch them. I don't want to just look at a picture online and say, okay, well, that's what it looks like. So that's what I'm going to paint it. Because, you know, based on where you fish and where things are, bait fish can look different. So the next one that I did was I went out and I caught, I, I was drop shotting down there on the lower Willamette outside of uh, Cedar Oak Island. And I was drop shotting and I caught a sculpin. So I took a picture of the sculpin. I said, I'm going to match the sculpin. That's exactly what they look like. Now we took it a step further and I took my son over to the river over on, over on the Malala. And we started, we were out there swimming one day and these guys were out there catching crawdads. And I'm like, what a great idea. I said, so I said, Nathan, let's go over and we'll go catch some crawdads. So we started catching them. And now I'm starting to see something even more different than what I was actually catching in the traps. I was seeing where they sit up, you know, where the, you know, where to find them. Um, and I was starting to see more sculpin in the water. So I was catching sculpin. I was catching chubs. I was catching some of the shiners. I was catching, um, uh, just all sorts of little bait fish that were in the water. And I'm like, oh, I'm onto something. And now that I'm getting able to get photos of them and act and write down my impressions of them, because I don't want to kill the bait fish. I want, I want to release them. Yeah. The crawdads, you can take them home and you can keep them for about a week before you release them back. Bait fish, they'll die if you, I don't, and I don't have a tank that I can just keep them alive in. So I write down my impressions. I take a bunch of photos of them and then I release them. And then I go home and I paint them 
until they're the way that I remember them being. So many of your colors that you have developed have been based upon your scientific experimentation of catching bait fish. Exactly. I catch, I actually catch the bait fish. I catch the crawdads. I catch the bluegills. I catch the. I fish for everything. Sure. If it's got gills, I'll and it swims in the water. I'll fish for it. So I catch all these fish, and I'll and I'll actually match what I catch. So I and I also I also match smallmouth bass, largemouth bass. I'm working on a. I'm actually working on a juvenile smallmouth right now. Uh, wow. And so the one thing I wanted to bring up before I before I forget is, you know, the podcast is going to reach out, even though I, you know, we're, we're talking about the Portland metro area, we know that it's going to go clear, clear across the United States. Do many of these colors transfer to other waters, or do you have lures that are used in other parts of the U.S.? So there, there is. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll give you a classic example of one. Um, in the John Day River, uh, the dominant species... Okay, so let me back up for one second. The dominant species of crawdad in the Pacific Northwest is the signal crayfish. There are other invasive species of crayfish, which include Louisiana swamp crawdad, the rusty crayfish, the ringed crayfish. I happened to be out at the John Day River because I heard all these great stories about the John Day River, and I said, well, let, me try my, let me try my lures out over there. And I caught a few fish. but So I said, well, let's dive in the water, see what's in there. And we started catching these rusty crayfish out of the John Day River. The rusty crayfish is the dominant species of crawdad in the John Day River. So that would be different than, say, the Willamette. Yes, very different. It, the, the, the rusty crayfish are so prolific. They spawn so regular, so many, they spawn two times a year versus signal crawdads that spawn only once. Mm -hmm. Um, but the rusty crayfish are so prolific up there, it's like swatting flies. You walk through the water and you can see them just scooting all over the place. Well, that the rusty crayfish is not native to Oregon, but it is native to the Midwest. And so you can actually take the color that I paint here for that sandy, rocky, silty bottom and transfer it over to somewhere in the Midwest. In the Midwest, they also have a lot of the shiners and chubs that they have here. Um, they also have sculpin. They also have gobies. We also have gobies here. I'm working on a goby pattern. In fact, I'm really close to getting one. So there's there are some colors that are transferable from here to there. But it seems like it's regional. So it's like, you know, there are certain bait fish that thrive above a, you know, above a certain parallel you know, above a certain latitude. Sure, because our water temperatures here are going to be different than, say, right. uh, Central California or... Right. They, it stays colder longer here. Right. So the bait fish that survive up here, the crawdads that survive up here, they need to be hardier. They need to be able to have a larger tolerance of water temperature um, because during the summertime, it's wonderful here. It's easy. It's so fun. Mm -hmm. But during the wintertime, it gets... I mean that river gets in the 30s most of the time during the during the winter, and it stays like that for a long time. It can get pretty cold. Yeah, and so, so it there are there are colors that translate across the country, um, and I've been but I, I I pick lures I pick colors that work here, and if it translates, great. If I have somebody that says, hey, like I have I've got one guy right now, he's going to send me some jerk baits. He's from Wisconsin. And he wants me to paint up an alewife pattern. Okay, I'll work on an alewife pattern, but we don't have alewife here that I've seen or that I've heard. But they've got it out there, 
and so I'll, I'll work, you know I'll work on it. And especially if I, he's got, you know, f- all the photos that I need of what I'm doing of what I'm looking for, I can match match them off of those uh, photos. Perfect. So this will be a great time to take a break. Let's take a look at the back of the package of a Willamette Weapons Lure. Based in the Northwest, Willamette Weapons Lures set out to match the hatch pattern on custom-painted lures. Willamette Weapons Lures are setting a new standard of excellence in custom-painted lures. Willamette Weapons Lures is the next best thing to live bait. The Talking Bass in PDX podcast would like to thank you for choosing Willamette Weapons Lures you can find Willamette Weapons Lures at WillametteWeaponsLures.com. Willamette Weapons Lures is offering a 10% discount on your order when you use the code BASSINPDX. That's B-A-S-S-I-N-P-D-X. Willamette Weapons Lures, the unfair advantage. And now, back to the interview. So you were just telling me a little bit about some patterns that you're painting for a Midwest uh, fisherman. Do you do that regularly, uh, custom painting? I do custom painting. In fact, I encourage my customers, if they've got, um, you know, every fisherman has a different experience in their fishing career. I don't want to call it career, but you know what I'm saying. It's in their fishing experience. It's like I've got guys that say, you know what? I really wish I had a certain color in this in a crankbait, and I've never seen one done before. I'm happy to do it for him, and I'll keep it confidential for him. So if, if a guy tells me I want a red-eyed doodly bug, tell me what that looks like, and I'll sit down, I'll consult with them, and I do what's called weaponizing. Uh, they'll tell me, here's what I'm looking for. You know, One of the colors, for instance, that I was actually allowed to sell was my all-star perch. I was, I was sat down with Bobby Brown. We actually went fishing down at 10 Mile, and we sat there and we fished all day long. And he goes, you know what? I really wish I had this color lure. Based on my experience of fishing these coastal lakes and fishing the rivers, I wish I had this color. And he says, I want. And he pulled out lures out of his tackle box. He says, I want this color and this color and that color on a lure. And I'm like, okay. I said, what do you, how do you envision it? Do you envision it being a bait fish? Do you envision it being a crawdad? How do you envision it? And he goes, I really envision it being a bait fish. And so I took those color. I took the, I, just, I said, let me borrow the lures. I promised to return them the, exactly the same way I found them, but I'm going to match that color, that color, that color. And I'm going to come up with a bait fish pattern for you. And he goes, cool. This is going to be great. Well, I came up with the all-star perch and he was so excited when he saw it. He goes, that's money. And he went out and he just dominated. I didn't tell anybody except I just, he was the only one. And he went out and lit him up for months and months and months. And nobody else had it except him. And I, of course, painted one for myself because I wanted to see how it worked. Um, but I've done that multiple times with different people. Um, I've done, um, I, I came up with a purple one. In fact, I'm getting ready. I just got permission to release it. Um, I did the, uh, my what I call my black and blue bruiser. A lot of guys like to throw black and blue chatterbaits. They like to throw black and blue jigs. I came up with a, what I call my black and blue bruiser, and it's an incredible pattern, especially early in the season, uh, you know, right when you first come out of winter. And so are you trademarking your patterns, or how do you protect them? You can't. Yeah. You can't. I, you know, I've got 20 years experience painting, mm-hmm. and so I know how to paint the baits. If somebody can copy them, there's not a whole lot I can do about them, right. you know, 
unfortunately you can't copyright a color. You, I, the only thing I can copyright is how I paint it. But all somebody has to do is paint one thing different, and they could paint it. And, and they could paint it. And I, so I, I, I don't. But I rely on the fact that I'm coming up with stuff that's original, that's mine. You know, I don't, I don't like to copy other people's work. Um, I've been asked to on occasion. Like for instance, I've, I've figured out the formula to be able to paint the old crystal crawdad from Lure Jensen. The new one is not a really good color. Mm. But the old version is incredible. It's a high confidence color for a lot of fishermen. Mm -hmm. And they've asked me to match that color from 20 years ago. And so I figured out the formula for it. And now I can paint lures in that color for them. So if a, if someone brought to you a lure that, say, was discontinued, mm -hmm. and you were able to figure out those colors and maybe weaponize it a little bit by making it better... You could you could paint those, is that right? Absolutely. Okay. So you know, like uh, you were talking to me about a funky chicken. Yep. So and that's going to be one of the colors that I'm going to set aside and go. You know what? I'm going to work on trying to match that. That way, because nobody paints it anymore. It right. does. It it doesn't exist except on lures that are already out there. So I could take that funky chicken and I could paint it on a trolling lure for you. Or if you have a hot lips in a color that you just can't seem to catch fish on. I can repaint that lure for you in whatever color you want, but I'll, I'll, as soon as I'm able to figure out that funky chicken color and and make it so that it looks just like what you have, then I can take it and go, okay, now I can start painting that the way that works. Yeah, because there are still hot lips out there, mm -hmm. but they're the wrong colors. Right. And uh, we use them for trolling, mm -hmm. and they will not... They will not catch any fish for some reason. When you when you take out funky chicken and throw it in the water, maybe it's the uh, two or three different colors are bouncing around, and that's causing the fish to to recognize it. Or uh, I'm not sure what causes it, but I I, th I think with I mean I've, now that I've seen what that color looks like, I've spent a lot of time studying not only the bait fish that I'm trying to match, but what makes a fish hit a pattern, or what makes a fish hit a color, and. Uh, to do this, I've actually di dove in the water, and I actually figured this out at uh, the uh, sportsman show a few years ago. I took one, a couple of my lures, and I said, "Hey, would you mind throwing it in the tank?" And they, you know, they got that great big tank with the walleye and the right. and the. I think they had a few bass in there, but it was mostly just walleye. I said, "I just want to see what the lure looks like underwater," and so I got the idea. I went, you know, let me take this, and I watched the lure under the water and it looked like the lure was undulating forward and backward and it got me thinking i wonder if the fish are actually hitting it because it looks like the bait or the bait fish or the crawdad that i'm matching which when the fish are hungry they probably are mm -hmm. but can you also trick them into biting something because of what it looks like underwater i'll give you an example my sculpin pattern really does look like a sculpin under uh, you know when you hold that in your hand it looks like a sculpin but when you look at that pattern underwater it actually looks like a drill bit spinning it looks like i mean it looks like it's drilling its way through the water even though the lure is just moving side to side and so i'm wondering do are they hitting the hitting that color because of the way it looks like it's spinning or because it's a sculpin so that's what's Still to be determined, right? Is you've got to figure out why are they hitting it, right? So now let's talk about that funky chicken, right? That funky chicken, when I'm, I, I need to see it underwater, but I'm willing to bet 
that because of the way the bait wobbles and you got those chartreuse stripes over the purple, it is moving side to side, but you got that great big chartreuse tail on it that's moving side to side as it's moving. Mm-hmm. And it's probably upsetting them. And it's probably one of those colors that when they're not feeding, it will just irritate them to death. Most likely. And we do catch a lot of walleye on that particular lure. And so walleye will tend to attack something. Right. And so there's times, I'm sure with walleye, just with any other predator species, there are times when they want to eat. And there are times that a pattern will just annoy them. And there's sometimes you could throw everything in the kitchen sink at them and they're just not going to want to bite, period. Yeah. But if you can capitalize, if you can figure out when you're on any given day, whether they're hungry, what, which mood they're in, whether they're hungry or be just being aggressive right. or being, or they just don't want to bite at all. If they don't want to bite at all, go fish for smallmouth or go fish for salmon or something else, steelhead. Right. Um, but if you can get them in, if you can get them to react to a pattern, which I have a feeling that funky chicken doesn't match any bait fish, but it no. just annoys the bejeebers out of them. Yeah. Then on day on those days when they're just being annoyed by that pattern, they will pound it. I I would I would tend to agree with you because when we're pulling that through the water, uh, we've pulled it slow at like a half mile an hour, and we've pulled it at three miles an hour, and it doesn't seem to really matter uh, which way we're pulling it uh, speed wise because they still go after it. Right. So. The annoyance factor probably is the uh, the big thing. You pull that thing in front of a walleye, and it'll it'll come right after. It, it, and that's that's the kind of stuff that I love to learn. I love to learn about what makes the walleye tick, what makes the bass tick. Um, you know, for instance, for bass, if you fish for bass in the springtime, you'll you, there there's a portion of the spring that's called the pre-spawn when they will hit just about anything you throw in the water in particular if it's a crawdad pattern Mm -hmm. because they need to fill up they need to eat and then all of a sudden like almost overnight they stop biting and you got to figure out a different way to get them to bite and the way you do that is you annoy them and one of the biggest triggers for smallmouth and largemouth in the springtime when there's once they get up on nests is a bait, uh, uh, not a not a bait fish, but something like a bluegill or a juvenile bass. It will drive them nuts. I can go down a bank at you know, say Hag Lake, and if you see fish sitting on nests, yeah. you wouldn't be able to get them to strike anything. You can throw a nightcrawler, and they're like, I'm not going to eat that. But you throw a baby bass ten feet from them, and they're like, uh, uh-uh. uh, that's their aggression trigger. That's they just come up and they they pound it. They're not trying to eat it. Right. They want to aggressively say, this is my area, get out. You are not welcome. They do that with bluegills, mostly because bluegills are nest raiders. Um, I know in the Midwest, they have a big problem with gobies attacking nests. The, these smallmouth and largemouth that are sitting out there in the Midwest, especially the smallmouth on the Great Lakes, they are sitting there cleaning their nests of gobies all day long, protecting their eggs because the gobies are nest eaters or they're egg eaters. And it's not it, it, trying to feed them something that they're normally trying to eat. doesn't matter. They've got their mind on other things right now. They're trying to protect their nest. And if you throw something that's an aggression trigger, they will pound on it. And that's something that I learned. And people weren't painting baby bass patterns. They weren't painting even bass. Even, I mean, even I, let me say that. They weren't painting good bass patterns. 
and I wanted something that these fish would just come unglued on and say, mm-mm. And I've been doing it for a long time. I came up with the baby with the bass pattern, and I'll throw it on you know big husky, you know the big uh, Rapala husky jerks, and a lot of the jerk baits that we had you know back twenty years ago, and nobody else had that pattern. I was the only one. So how many patterns are you painting at this time? Right now, I'm I'm right about forty patterns or so. Um, you know between the bait fish and the crawdads and the sun the various sunfish. I've got a couple of different bluegills and a crop. I've got an adult crappie and a blue, and a, a juvenile crappie. Um, there's got to be ten or twelve different um, crawdad patterns that I'm painting. Um, I'm painting. I have a couple of different sculpin patterns that I'm painting. Um, I've got a couple of patterns that are. I call them aggression triggers. You know, my chartreuse perch, and there's a couple of patterns like that. Um, yellow perch couple you know some different crawdad ones so it's i think i'm about close to 40 patterns right now and so you're uh you're making like a lipless uh crankbait and then uh kind yeah. of medium dive and a deep dive or right. Is it... so right now i've got i've got seven different lures i've got a deep diver which i call my captor model and that one dive it's similar to a norman deep little n dives down to 10 feet i've got a 1.5 square bill that i call my mako these are all named after weapons. Okay. Um, I've got a Mako square bill that dives down to five feet. It's just a, a 1.5 square bill. I've got a what I call my B52. It's a 5 8 ounce lipless crankbait. And I call it my B52 because I can launch it. And even in the wind, when you're out on the Columbia, you can throw it even into the wind. And you can still keep it down in the water column, make really good long casts. Um, so that's the, that's the third one. I've got what I call the harpoon. It's similar to a Pointer 100. Um, these are all knockoff lures mm-hmm. that um, I, you know, I buy from various sources. Um, I unfortunately I haven't had a chance to make my own lure yet, but it is in the works. I've got my ideas. I just need to get into one of the lure manufacturer labs and figure out exactly what I want. So I've got a I've got a harpoon. I just recently added what I call the wasp, and it's a small, real low profile jerk bait that I used to actually use. I, this is actually the brand name a brand name company actually used to buy these blanks and i found the blank and i was so happy when i got them i bought a thousand of them Uh, but that's my little wasp it's so subtle and it catches fish when i can't catch them on anything else and that's just come out right it just i just released it in fact i just released it at the show the sportsman show in february so if you go back and look at uh your instagram in the last two or three weeks you'll see it on there right yep okay um, and then I have another one that's a, I call it my X3. It's a top water, similar to a Spook Junior. I've just that bait. I've had it for almost two years now. I found the blank, and I've caught so many big smallmouth on that bait. I decided to sell it. You know, I, um, one of the rules that I go by is if I don't use the bait, I'm not going to paint it and sell it. Mm-hmm. So if you see a, a lure that I sell off of my website. It's because I believe in that lure. I sell that lure. I can I use it. I'll paint them in my different patterns, and I, you'll see my boxes full of them. Um, and are you doing some specific uh, baits for walleye? Or I, I'm working on I'm I'm working on some colors, and I'm starting to do some repaints. In fact, I've been do, starting to do some repaints for um, the tackle shop up there. I don't know the name of the shop yet, but it's up there at Grand Coulee Playground. I'm doing some baits for them. I'm doing some trolling um, plugs for them, and they should be getting those here in the next uh, probably two weeks. Um, 
I don't have anything specific for walleye, but what we're doing is we're painting them in patterns that are what they're used to feeding on. Not the, you know, so many of the walleye colors that I've seen are so they're bright purple with pink polka dots and they've got the wonder bread color and they've got funky chicken and it's it's stuff that are mostly seems like they're aggression triggers they're 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 colors that these fish will hit just out of reaction and i think what we're going to do is we're going to aim to play with what they actually feed on so i'm going to do one in a smolt pattern because i know that the really big walleye like to bite early in the year you know, March, April, when those when those smolt are really they're starting to come back through the water uh, through the river system back out to the ocean. Um, you know, we're going to be doing some in a sculpin pattern because they tend to live in deeper water, yep. where the sculpins really thrive. We're going to do one in a um, in a yellow perch pattern. I was going to say, yep, they, got, they like yellow perch. Yep, I've got yeah. a I'm, I'm doing yellow perch pattern. Um, we're also doing one in a kokanee pattern for some of the lakes. Not some, The kokanee won't be for the river, but, you know, on some of the lakes up there in Washington around, I guess, Banks Lake has a lot uh, of kokanee in it. Potholes. Potholes. Yeah. Um, you know, guys are out there trolling for walleye, and they want a kokanee pattern. So I, I developed a kokanee pattern um, that I, I actually just released recently. I haven't even had a chance to really paint up too many baits in that color yet. Uh, but that's another one that I'm going to be doing, and so I'm doing an initial order of 50 for them up there, and those that they'll have that here in the next couple of weeks. Well, that is uh, that's interesting. So we've taken a look, kind of at the you know at the beginning and how you've gotten uh, have you gotten how you've gotten your store going, and everything seems to be moving along. Well, what I see for the future is you know I'm I'm hoping to add. Um, several new lures to the uh, to to my to the arsenal. You know, I, I, in fact, I'm going to be releasing one here next week. Um, I haven't even named it yet, but it's an incredible bait. Like I said, you know, I've been using this I have this particular one. I just found the source for them, and but I've been using them for two years, and just I've only had five, and so I, now I'm going to start selling them. But um, I'll I'll be releasing that here soon. But I, I what I see is adding several new lures to the arsenal and uh, quite a few new colors and just expanding on, you know, the color patterns for here. I mean, you know, the bass fishermen here in Oregon and Washington and Idaho uh, were really neglected when it comes to our, you know, our favorite warm water species. Mm -hmm. And so I see it as kind of my job to make sure that we're taken care of, that we have patterns of lure, you know, color patterns that work for our you know for our waters up here well that is great and now are you available in any retail sites or is everything on the website um i i actually have my lures in mazama sporting goods down in eugene and also in i'm, I'm going to be talking to a couple of different shops coming up here in this in the near future but most of it's online okay all right and uh how would folks get a hold of you um you can feel free to you know the best way to get a hold of me is to either email me or message me on Facebook. Um, my f website is www.willamettweaponlures.com, and I'm really good about getting back to you on that. You know, I tend to get busy when I'm—they call it slinging paint. I'm painting, and I—I I, I tend to shut my phone off during that time. But I'm really good about getting back to the emails and the texts and the 
messages you know within 24 hours that's usually the best way to get a hold of me and if you need to talk to me i'm more than happy to give you a call just say hey i'd love to talk to you about this please call me and i'll be happy to give you a call perfect well I think that uh, we've uh, we've kind of uncovered a lot about Willamette Weapons, and I appreciate you stopping by. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. Well, once again, I'd like to thank Brian Chapman of Willamette Weapon Lures for inviting me over to his lab as we were uh, recording the podcast, and I got a chance to look around a bit and see how the magic all happens. Now, remember that if you need to weaponize your tackle box... You want to contact WillametteWeaponsLures.com and order your supply today of Willamette Weapon Lures and use the code BASSINPDX at checkout. You'll get a 10% discount on your order. Well, for show ideas, feedback, email me at GoneFishingPDX at gmail.com. Now remember that I will put the information in the show notes about Willamette Weapons Lures. And I would like to thank everybody for stopping by. And again, stay safe with the COVID-19 epidemic going around. And until next time, this has been Don Clark, talking bass in PDX, and I'll see you on the backcast.